Welcome to this episode of the We Travel There podcast. We're in Ile-sur-le-Sorgue, France, with my new friend Kevin McGough of surletroutecam.com. Kevin retired from being a lawyer and stumbled upon Ile-sur-le-Sorgue when exploring France. He's now a freelance travel writer and splits time between here and the U.S. In this episode, Kevin and I talk about going antique shopping in the local shops, visiting the Notre Dame de Angus, and seeing the sculptures at Villa de Tris. Hear about these three amazing experiences, plus so much more. If you know someone that wants to visit France, I'd love it if you shared this episode with them. The show notes will be available at wetravelthere.com forward slash sorg. Now let's get started. The We Travel There podcast helps you travel like a local by interviewing guests from around the world to uncover the hidden gems of their city by finding out the best things to do, eat, drink, and see from a local's point of view. Whether I'm traveling for business or pleasure, it's important to have clothes that make me look good and feel great. I wear Bluffworks jeans, slacks, dress shirts, and blazers because they're wrinkle-free and are designed for the modern traveler. And if they get dirty, a quick spin in the washing machine, and they're good as new. Go to wetravelthere.com forward slash Bluffworks for a special offer and to select from the latest styles so you can stay wrinkle-free when you travel. Hey, Kevin. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Lee. I really appreciate you uh, having me here. Right on. So today we're talking about, and I'm going to probably mess up the name, Ile-sur-la-Sorgue. Uh, it's France, and it's a little island that's it's like off the coast, right? Actually, uh, Ile-sur-la-Sorgue, and you said it just perfectly, is a small town in France. It's about 20 miles east of Avignon and about one hour north of Marseille. So it's in the heart of Provence, the Provence of Peter Mayo, Provence in the movie A Good Year, Cicadas chattering, uh, hot summers, windy, Mistral blows through, uh, rains occasionally. The river soared. The origin of the river is about 7K down the pike, and it formed a an island that became the town, Ile-sur-la-Sorg, Island on the Sorg. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, I saw some of the pictures, and it just it looks like almost like you're transported back in time with the architecture and just like how cute everything is. Oh, it's a great place. It's a town of about 19,000 people, but the older part of the town, which is on the island, if you will, has been there since the 12th century, and the buildings are old. They, they started building at that time, and some of the buildings are every bit that old. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about Europe is that just how old the buildings are and just the way that they were designed. It's it's like an architectural marvels, you know? No, absolutely. We we have an apartment in an 18th century building that was a hospital in the 1600s. And so this the home we live in now is 30 years old in the United States. And the home we live in in France is the buildings before the U.S. was even thought of. <laughs> wow. Wow. So what, what's your connection to the city? Like, how did you get there? When we first got married almost 49 years ago, Patty and I started traveling to France, and we really liked it, so we learned the language. We'd go back once a year. At some point, we decided we'd like to live here, but working and kids and all those things that get in the way of a lark like moving to France came together in 2012 when we bought a small apartment that we used as a rental when we couldn't be there, which was not a lot, and then as I moved forward and decided to do something other than be a lawyer and become a travel writer, we bought a larger apartment, sold the little one, and settled in this town that we 
actually stumbled upon in our travels crisscrossing France and just really fell in love with the place. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay. Uh, if you had to describe the people or the city in just a couple of words, how would you do that? Eclectic is the easiest and one that just pops into my mind. This, this village has everything and culturally for us. And our friends come from all over. We have Scots, we have Moroccan, British, French, obviously, uh, American expats as well. And the group that we tend to socialize with draws from all these different nationalities. And we also, I, I think, friendly is another word that we, we joke that we park our car about 10 minute walk from our apartment. But if we have to leave at nine o'clock, we would leave at about 830 because when we open our door and walk out on the street, there's a shop owner across the way that we have to stop and talk to her for a little <laughs> bit. And we talk our way down the way to the parking lot just every day. There's pleasantries exchanged. Uh, sometimes you can't get very far before somebody grabs your arm and says, no, let's sit down. We're going to have a cup of coffee and a cup of tea. Uh, if they get you later in the day, a glass of rosé. That's just a really comfortable place where you're, you're welcomed almost immediately. And now after 10 years, we're, we spend about half our time there and we're part of the community. That sounds wonderful. It's, I love that that melting pot aspect of things. Like you said, it, obviously it's in the middle of France, but it's not just the French. It's a little bit of everything. And I think it's awesome that you can be able to experience all those different cultures. You have friends from all over the world and everything else. Um, kind of speaking along that lines, I know that you learn French, you know, obviously as you're, you're doing all your travels across the, across the country. If, if I'm going to go there and kind of experience some of the things we'll talk about. Do I need to learn French before I go, or is is like English uh, spoken widely there as well? What I've found is the folks that are the shop owners, the commerçants, the, the restaurateurs, they speak English. In fact, in our town, the mayor's office, the mairie, actually promoted English classes for the commerçants so that they could communicate because tourism is a huge part of the economy. So you'd be just fine. My, my advice to people is you need to you need to say hello, goodbye, please, thank you, bonjour, au revoir, s'il vous plaît, merci, and where's the bathroom? Have those five <laughs> phrases, you're good. Yeah, no, I think it's I think that's definitely a, a good point for any any place that you travel to. Make a little bit of an effort to learn a few of the words. Just that, like you said, even this, just those handful of phrases. It just shows that like you care enough to to learn a little bit of the language, and I think with that it opens opens up people so much better. No, you're you're so rightly. I, I tell people this. It's unique to France. Throughout France, if you go into a shop, a small shop, you say hello to the shop owner, bonjour, madame, and when you leave, if you don't buy anything, merci, au revoir, have a good day. But the, they'll pick up your accent immediately, and that act of politeness and opens the door to the shop owner who friendly as heck and they'll they'll detect your english accent and if they speak <laughs> english they'll start right in on you but it, but don't ignore the shop owner when you walk in that's one of my pro tips for navigating french uh, shopping that's good to know for sure yeah but i think just like if somebody came here and started speaking english but they are their native tongue was from another country we obviously know that they're not native from from America, right? Same thing if we're my French is nowhere nowhere near as good as yours and or my wife's, and even though I can say a few words, they could definitely tell I'm American. <laughs> yeah, but but that's okay. Americans are, are are 
welcome there. And I certainly welcome any sauce org. And that's good because I know that French sometimes has a has a bad reputation. Oh, they don't like Americans, blah, blah, blah. I think it's, but I think that is partly on us because we don't oftentimes take that little extra step of learning some of those words to show that respect to them and show that little bit of effort. And by us not respecting them, then we obviously get that in return. Absolutely. I, I think also my observation is that if you in a smaller town like this, you find just a slower pace of life. People have their feet kicked up. The folks that we know that are working, they stop and have a coffee in the morning. They stop and have maybe a beer, even a coffee later in the day. If you're in Paris, sometimes as a tourist, Patty and I feel like we're in the way. These folks are going to work. They're on high speed skateboard or one of those mono boards or they're running to the bus and no different than being in a big city in the U.S., New York, San Francisco, Miami, where folks are working and here we are just kind of moseying along, looking up at the sky and, and <laughs> kind of in people's way. It's not that they're rude. They're just in a hurry. Sure, sure. Now, you mentioned earlier that you kind of spend time back and forth between the U.S. and, and France there. What's the weather like throughout the year? Like, do you plan your visits based on like trying to hit the, the high seasons or what's the weather like if, if I'm planning on coming out there? In the, in the summer, it's very hot. It can be 100 degrees and with not much rain. And also, there's a lot of tourists there. It's a very popular town, and Provence is a popular area of France. And so in July and August particularly, the French take their vacations in August and can be crowded. We love it in September, October, April, May. And when we were working, those are the months that we tended to go because the kids are back in school, the tourists are back at work, the French are back at work, and it's a little more relaxed. And the holidays, great. Uh, at Christmas, they have a Christmas market, and it's festive. Uh, there are times in December you can sit outside at lunch with a scarf and a sweater and be just fine. The sun shines 300-some days out of the year, so you get a lot of sun, which is another attraction to us to, to be in that part of the world. But uh, it's a little cold in January, get some rain, but it's not, uh, it's not, it's not beach weather, but it's not beach weather along the Mediterranean either. And, <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's not like Mexico or the Caribbean. Yeah. I know the Christmas markets in, in Europe are, are wonderful. I definitely want to go and, and check some of those out, but are there other festivals or uh, annual events that happen throughout the year that somebody wants to plan the trip around that? Yes, there's an international art or antique fair in Ilsorasorg, and it happens on Easter weekend. And it had been going on in August, but it's been moved to October 28th, around the All Saints weekend, the, the, uh, the first day of November. And they closed the streets off, the, the main street in particular, and set up these tents and booths, and antique people come from all over the world. Uh, Ilsoda Sorg is the third largest antique market in Europe, London and Paris being the two bigger markets. And so that fair is a, a huge draw. The other thing that we have found, too, is that the so well organized for an 18,000, 19,000-person town, once a month there are artisan markets and people making jewelry, leather goods, artists, painters, potters, uh, woodworkers, come and set their booths up and their the roads closed off and and people shop and that's that's a once a month affair during the summer there's various bigger fairs there was a scottish fair this year where half the town was wearing kilt and you heard the, <laughs> the, the drone of the bagpipe they had a viking 
fair one time. That was really interesting to see grown men walking down the street in fur coats carrying swords in the hot weather. But, you know, <laughs> when you're dressed like a Viking, if you're going to go to the Viking fair, I mean, I, I didn't. My fur and my sword were in the shop, so I didn't join in. But Yeah, they're at the dry cleaners, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, right on. Well, all this sounds really fun and interesting. If I want to come there from uh, from here in Nashville, and I know that you obviously are, are well acquainted because you go back and forth multiple times throughout the year. How do we get from the U.S. to Ilsulisorg? Is there an airport nearby? Or Yeah, there is. The, the airport in Marseille is 50 minutes from Ilsulisorg. And Air France serves that airport. So if you fly, if, if you get to Paris, you can fly to Marseille. And there's various ways from Marseille. You can take the train or rent a car. The car rental is very easy to do. The the other way that people come, you can fly to, from London and go London directly to Marseille. So anywhere in the U.S. that gets you to London, you can get to Marseille quickly. But the train is a great way to go. We fly to Paris, and there's a train station in the airport at Charles de Gaulle. So it goes directly south. It also goes north, obviously. But it comes to through Lyon to Avignon. And Avignon's 20 miles away, a half hour. We rent a car there. We can take the train. The, the train runs from Avignon to Lille in about 20 minutes. And bus number six comes from Avignon to Lille. It costs four euro to take the bus. It's about the same for the train. There's a taxi. The taxi's expensive. It's about 100 euro, 90 euro to come from Avignon to Lille. So renting a car or a bus or train are more economical. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Now, do you recommend us renting a car then as far as being able to see uh, Isser Les Org or and like the kind of the surrounding area? Yes. When we had our rental apartment, we had cyclists who came and never rented a car. And they cycled for a month and went, I think, 50K perimeter around the Lille, and then they rented a car. There was so much to do in Provence. And these little towns, as I mentioned in Peter Mayle's books, that have been written about uh, Gord, Minerve, the, the beach is an hour. So having a car really gives a lot of flexibility. So, you know, it's a nice day. It's a perfect place to take day trips from. Oh, fantastic. Now, as far as getting in there with, with the car, one, is is there parking around or how's the, how's the parking situation? And two, where should we stay while we're there? Are there like the chain hotels like Hyatt and Marriott and stuff like that? Or is it more of boutique and, and mom and pop type of shops? There's no high. The, the Grand Hotel Henri has been there for hundreds of years. I, Queen Victoria stayed there in the late 1800s when she came through. They just refurbished the hotel. It's right on the edge of town. Beautiful place and a great space for lunch and uh, to hang out even if you're not a guest. And they have a car park at the hotel. There's a boutique hotel, the Maison de la Sorgue. They have parking furnished, but, but most people will go through a Airbnb or VRBO or those services and rent a small apartment uh, for three or four days. And some come with parking. Otherwise, there, there are a couple parking lots that are pay lots. There are two that are a little bit for these antique fairs, as you can imagine, when you have 100,000 people show up, that the parking can be nightmarish. Oh, well, sure. But otherwise, there's parking. Uh, I don't recommend driving through town it, that you will freak people out the first time they do it when you find <laughs> that your your bear your mirror is touching the toe of a guy sitting at a cafe, so it's a little dicey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> time of year too. If you're you're going spring or fall, you'll find a place to park. In the summer, you might drive around a little bit. 
Nice. Okay. So we mentioned like some of the fairs as far as the antiques and, and some of those like really cool ones like the Viking Festival. What are some of the other things we should be doing when we visit the, the Sorg? There's a couple of museums there. There's the Copperdome Museum, which is in an 18th century building. They rotate their exhibits frequently. We've seen some great photography exhibits, artist exhibits, uh, and something interesting that they do at the beginning when they open an exhibit. It's called a vernissage, and it's advertised, and you can show up, and the, the artist may be there to give a little chat. The mayor sometimes is there to introduce the artist or just be there, but they always end the formalities with the festivities of the champagne drink, and it's a nice way to see the artwork, and and it's a fun way to start. There's another museum that's more modern art, Villa Datrice, which is on the main street in Lille, and it rotates their exhibits frequently. The antiques, there's about 300 antiquaires or antiquers shops in Lille sur la Sorgue, and just walking and browsing and checking these shops out, you can find uh, something that came from Grandma's attic that looks like it was broken to a Louis XIV desk that would cost more than our apartment ten times over. <laughs> There's something for everybody. Uh, you know, the old one man's trash is another man's treasure. And, and that's an interesting way that I recommend that the market, Ilsonosaur has had a market since the 12th century, and it the ancient times, the goods came down the river, which they reenact this annually in the summertime. And you'll see these ladies in these peasant dresses with these huge hats with flat bottom boat, which is called a negoshin, to navigate this shallow river with flowers and produce as they did in the old times. On Sundays, particularly in high season, the streets are just packed. The entire interior part of the town is the market and sausages, cheeses, fish oysters, anything you can imagine. There's clothing, too. We, you can buy clothing at a very reasonable price for a sweater, a pair of pants, and T-shirt, you name it. It's available. So the market is definitely worth visiting. And there's a, there's a huge market on, on Sunday. And on Thursday, there's a smaller market in the morning from about 9 until 1. And I suggest people, you come and stroll the market when you spy a restaurant as you're strolling, make a reservation so that you can go back there at 1230 or so, have your table waiting. The restaurant will fill up. If you pop in at 1230 or 1, for, ask for a table, you're not likely to get one. Okay. That's a good tip for sure. Now, it sounds like a wonderful experience being able to stroll through those markets and everything. And you mentioned some of the textiles. Apparently, the, they make a, a lot of textiles in that area, even though it's a, kind of a small town, and they export things throughout the world, right? Well, the history is that the first inhabitants there recognized the power of this water. And so there were 70 water wheels in the 19th century powering mills for grains and oils. In the 18th century, silks. In the 19th century, paper. And as the country was industrialized and the water power was replaced by other resources, there's now only 14 water wheels left. The oldest one's from 1530. But there's one, one of the manufacturers. It's called the Brun Viron Piran. They've been there since 1808. It's a family-owned business, and they produce fabulous garments, cloths, wool, scarves, silks. There was a time when the uh, the papacy was in Avignon, and so the outfits for the cardinals, in particular the vestments, the vestments for the cardinals, priests were produced at these mills. There was once 165 
meatless days on the Catholic calendar. So it was a fisherman's paradise as well, where uh, the, the fishermen in, the, in Los Angeles were very prosperous. Wow, that's fascinating. Now, I know like we talked about a little bit earlier, there's like just tremendous architecture there in the town. And like, for example, like some of the churches seem like they're pretty amazing, like the Notre Dame des Angus, or is that, am I pronouncing it correctly? Notre Dame des Anges, Notre, Notre Dame of the Angels. Yes, it's a, it's a beautiful church. They just redid the church and the outside looks a little stark not ornate, but when you go in, there's fabulous wood carvings that are throughout the church, the gold-plated frames on the photographs, and as in most French churches, there's multiple altars, that some of which have been beautifully restored. The organ itself is something of a masterpiece. It's a, it's a protected, the organ's protected by the heritage group because of its age. And so, yes, the church is beautiful. Right across the street from the church is called the uh, Tour d'Argent. And uh, the Count of Toulouse kept his money there back in the in the 12th, 13th, 14th century. So the old saw about you, you don't keep the money in the castle. The Count didn't live here, but his cash was there. And the mayor's office, along with the French government of this department, this local political department and the, and the state generally are redoing that tower. It's going to turn, it's going to have a theater as it once did. And it's a beautiful building right on the square where the, where the church is. Oh, that sounds amazing. I love, I love the architecture of the, these old you know, European towns and everything. Now we only have a couple of minutes and we don't want to miss out on some of like the really amazing like, food experiences in the town as well. No, I, I think that there, I used to know the number as over a hundred restaurants, which sounds amazing and it is and it's a small town but that you can't go too far particularly if you're along the river without finding a great place to eat we have made friends with the restaurateurs and there's there's a young man pierre who owns three or four restaurants uh terra and mare which is right on the corner you can't miss it on the river or the Chineur. uh monsieur tu or david is a, a great guy as we walk past there every day and his food's amazing there's Ballade de Saveur is one of our favorite restaurants where they have this delicious terrine of lamb that's cooked in a clay pot that's fabulous. Obviously, fish, given the proximity to the, the ocean and the and the river there, the trout is fabulous. So we, uh, uh, there's no uh, no shortage of great places to eat. Nice. Now, um, I know you mentioned like the, the Grand Hotel Henri. I think they have like a really nice restaurant there as well, right? Beautiful restaurant and the garden's just fabulous. There's a little fountain there. I, we'd like to go down there and sit in the garden, have a glass of rosé late in the day. It's it's plenty shaded. The the lunch is fantastic. They serve this fresh fish, typically trout, at lunchtime, and the staff's real pleasant. And it's just it's kind of a cheery place. It's a classic uh, French outdoor dining experience. That's in this little courtyard with the. Uh, the trees overhanging a bit and where the trees don't overhang, there's an umbrella flapping in the breeze. Oh no, that's, that's pretty awesome. Now I know that just from like our trips to, to Paris and to other cities within France that, you know, in the morning it's a lot of times it's just like coffee and like a pastry or something like that. Is that kind of like the traditional breakfast there as well? It, it is. It, the French have their favorite boulangere bread maker and you go to your favorite bread maker and you buy a croissant, or perhaps a baguette, a, a loaf of bread. And then you can take it to your favorite cafe, and you will not be discouraged by ordering your cafe or a cup of tea at your favorite cafe and 
putting your pastry on the table that you bought somewhere else and dunking it in your coffee like a French person. And that's that's a very classic way to spend the morning. And even the, even people that are rushing to work, it's not like everybody has the, the leisure time that, that some do, that they'll stop for a coffee, take a little espresso, slug it down, exchange pleasantries, maybe smoke a cigarette, and off they go to work. But yes, the what I call, what is called la vie provençale, the, the Provence, provençal life is relaxed. And it's about taking it in, not uh, necessarily running at 100 miles an hour with a Starbucks in your hand. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like uh, 180 degrees from a lot of like the life we know here in the U.S. It, it is. And that, it's, that's our attraction to it. It is, a, it's a, I think, a healthy way to live. Well, that's fantastic. Well, Kevin, I really appreciate you sharing all these amazing tips for Eosur Lasorg. I think I got that right. You do. Uh, <laughs> I've learned so much, and it sounds like such an amazing place to visit, and I, I can't wait to come out there and do it. But now it's time for the final countdown. If somebody only had time for one meal when they visited, where should they go and what should they eat? I would send people to a place called the Café du Village. It is nestled among the antique shops, and at lunchtime, they have a special every day. It's called the Plat du Jour. It could be lamb, it could be a fish, it could be a stew. Always good, reasonably priced. And this is a gathering place for locals and also the people that run the antique shops. And it's tucked away in a place that's not on the main drag. And so find tourists there, mostly I think they've stumbled into it because they happen to be shopping in the antique building and see this fabulous little restaurant tucked there. And Annabelle and Mathieu are gracious hosts and it's always a fun event oh that's fantastic now like you said you've been going there off and on for the last 10 years or so i'm sure you created some awesome memories what's one of the most memorable we stayed there for nine months during the pandemic and the french government they had various lockdowns there were times where you couldn't go more than one kilometer from your house they had curfews from 6 uh, p.m till 6 a.m and what we did is on sundays we had our group come to the house about noon or one o'clock. One of our friends, David, was a chef back in his working days. And he and my wife, Patty, would put together these fabulous meals, which everybody else chipped in. We had our friend Ruth, we called her the patissière. She would make us fabulous cakes or pies. And we'd have this group of people, we had, it was limited to eight, but we'd sneak in our friend Jack occasionally and have nine and spend the afternoon together over a great meal, just lingering the day away. And at 10 till six, we shushed everybody out so that they made it home before curfew. Yeah, I mean, it, it was obviously a very tough time for a lot of people. It's good that you were able to kind of make things work like that, where you still kind of had a little semblance of like normalcy. And at the same time, a, a trying amazing food and, and just hanging out with friends. No, it was really, if you look back, it's, was a very meaningful time for us to, to have that uh, camaraderie of those people. And every to this day, they, they're, our friend Jack in particular is, sort of laments the fact that the Sunday lunch habit is seems to be, it's not every Sunday anymore. Wow, oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, sometimes it's a bad thing when you return to, to, to normal life versus like some of the things that we did during that time. Speaking of good times and, and happy memories, uh, where's the happiest happy hour in Ile Sula Sorg? I would take you to Chez Stefan. Lee, I think you'd like it. It's a, uh, he, Stefan is a uh, wine and cheese shop. He's got some tables that are actually their tabletops on top of wine barrels that sit in front of Chez Stefan. 
and his employee Erwan and Steph are gracious hosts. And you watch the world go by with the crisp rosé and uh, they'll cut some sausages and cheese and put those in front of you. And we tend to meet our friends there once or twice a week, five or six o'clock-ish. And, uh, and Steph closes at seven. So, you know, we're, we have our nice little happy hour. That sounds like the perfect way to spend an evening. Now, one of the things I always do whenever I travel is check out the local pizza. What's the best place for pepperoni pizza in the Solis Org? Lee, you need to go to Clem's. Clem is run by a young man who used to be a pastry chef. So his pizzas are fabulous. The outdoor space where you sit is nice. The staff is charming. And when you're done with your pepperoni pizza, you, you get an absolute first class pastry for dessert because that's what his trade was. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's a, it's a good way to, to finish off eating a bunch of bread with having a little bit more bread. You bet. <laughs> <laughs> So obviously, you know, you're a travel writer, uh, you've traveled all over the world and you, you travel back and forth between the U.S. And, and, and France all the time. During that time, I'm sure you've amassed some like really great tips. Like what's one of your best travel tips? My recommendation from taking our friends around is that travelers that come to the south of France, come to ile sur Sore, take some time to spend the day just with your feet up. I've had so many guests leave and say, oh, we saw so many things, but the one thing we didn't do was just loaf about town for a day, cruise through the shops, have a long lunch, do a coffee in the morning to watch people get started, do a glass of wine at five o'clock to watch the people that are kind of walking around just doing what we call the promenade where the town sort of livens up about five o'clock. I would say come to Provence with the idea that you want to spend at least a day living la vie provençale with your feet up and your hat cocked to the side and your eyes open to watch the world go by. Yeah, I think that's kind of like the inherent American thing, right? We get a limited number of vacation days. We don't take them all. And so when we actually do go on vacation, we're trying to rush and like cram as many things as possible into into those limited days that we actually do take. And, and so I think you're right. Like we need to take a little bit of time and just kind of chill and relax. You know, yep. and I think that's a good way to do things. Now, Kevin, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all these amazing tips. Can you tell the audience a little bit more about who you are and what you do? But what I'm doing now, I was a lawyer for 40 years and I decided that I wanted to retire to something. So I started doing travel writing and I've been doing articles for various publications, which are on my website, which is Sur La Route, K-M, S-U-R-L-A-R-O-U-T-E-K-M, on the road, Kevin, basically, where you can find my articles. Also written a book that I'm working on getting published that uh, speaks to lawyers about thinking about the talents that, that lawyers have that they might be put to something other than being a lawyer when they decide that they'd like to kick back and maybe live la vie provençale. Wow, that sounds wonderful. Uh, if somebody has questions about your travel writing or Il Sur Sorg, what's the best way to reach you on social media or, or email? Facebook, uh, LinkedIn are, are two good ones. I, I'm on there. And also, if you go to my website, there's my phone number and my, my email address are right there for you. I'd be happy to answer questions. Well, yeah, fantastic. Well, we'll include links to all that in the show notes. So that way people can reach you. Kevin, again, we appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all these amazing tips and look forward to seeing you when we travel there. Well, Lee, I hope that uh, I can treat you to a glass of rosé some afternoon. What a wonderful conversation with Kevin. My daughter wants to visit Paris and when we go, We'll need to take a side trip to visit Kevin in this charming town. You can find all the links we talked about today at wetravelthere.com forward slash sword. 
We want to say thank you to Bluffworks for being an affiliate partner of today's episode. Bluffworks offers many styles to fit your needs so that way you can stay recall free while traveling. Go to wetravelthere.com forward slash Bluffworks and use the promo code LEAD to save 10% off your order. Join us next time as we head to Syracuse, New York to speak with my new friend Linda Lowen of lindalowen.com. In this episode, Linda and I talk about sampling local specialties at Salt City Market, seeing the leprechaun door at Tip Hill, and grabbing fresh break bread at Columbus Baking Company, whose tiled ovens date back to 1897. We hope you join us when we travel there. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please share with your friends and tell them what you like most. Make sure you follow us on your favorite podcast app. That way you won't miss any of our upcoming destinations. Oh,